There are $330 billion of treasuries being crammed down the throats of institutional investors around the world every week. Get ready for a new episode of KP Talks Dollars and Cents. Learn financial literacy and get real-time updates on all things housing, finance, and real estate. So let's get started. Here's your host, Kevin Perenio. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Well, this is going to be like the last time you'll see at my desk until the 23rd. Got a lot of travel going on. Uh, I'm sure I've seen some of you out there on the road. Thank you again to the CoreLogic team. What a great event last week, um, breaking down the appraisal process and talking about shifting left and trying to be more data-driven and everything we're doing. Um, God, what a great group. Oxford, Mississippi, just for those of you that saw the LSU at uh, Ole Miss game, uh, Ole Miss won at the end, and I freaking stormed the field. It was so cool. Like, I've never stormed the field. Like Anyway, it was badass. Thank you, CoreLogic. You guys are the best. Um, looking forward to seeing everyone at the NBA in Philly in just a couple weeks. But tomorrow, I go to Dallas. I'll be at Texas OU weekend and got all kinds of stuff going on. So uh, let's get cracking here. It's jobs week. Lots of data coming out. Fed speak week. ISM services PMI week. Why are all those things important? The Fed has a dual mandate. So two things, maximum employment and price stability. Now, they've been talking a long time only about inflation. They've never really said anything about employment because it's been strong. The labor market has been strong. And when I say Fed speak week, remember, it's been two weeks just about since the Fed came out and paused again, no interest rate, but were very hawkish in their tone. And then they started speaking, as they always do. Spoke a little bit last week, speaking this week. we got like four weeks to go uh, before the next Fed meeting on November 1st. And um, then we... We'll see whether they pause again. There is a 75% chance, according to the CME tool, uh, that gauges the Fed future fund um, percentages, 74.3% to be exact. And then in the December meeting, um, I believe that number um, actually is uh, a little less. So December 13th, lucky 13, is my lucky number, 55% chance that they hold steady again. And there's a 38% chance that they raise in December. So the market, after all the hawkish talk of uh, two weeks ago in the meeting and all the talking since then, the market thinks there's going to be a pause and then a rate hike, potentially. Now, it's still, uh, the market still thinks they're done, but they less think they're done in the December meeting because there's a lot of fear that, you know, higher for longer. Well, that the dot plot, remember, at the last meeting said the terminal rate was going to be 5.6. We're only at 525 to 550. So, you know, you have the majority of the Fed members on there saying, you know, 12 of the 19 to put the dot plot out there, the SCP um, saying that the rate will go higher from here. But not all of them said that. Well, what will change that? Well, data, the data that's coming out. But there are some other factors that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about the buying and selling money aspect and get, give you some numbers to think about what's going on. So the Fed has been speaking a little bit lately this week about the employment part. So now, introduced into some of the, uh, the rhetoric when the, the Fed is speaking, um, specifically BAR, which um, one of my subscription services highlights all the different macroeconomic things and all the different speakers that are speaking this week. And they put in bold some of the more important things. And the Fed vice chairman, uh, BAR, 
um, speaking, started to talk about, hey, you know, we want to make sure that employment's good too. So now they're starting to talk about employment, right? So they're getting out in front of it. It's an election next year. It's very unpopular for the Fed to say, hey, we're going to keep rates higher for longer, and we don't care if you all lose jobs. Of course, that's, that's, it's wildly insensitive and unpopular. And they have a dual mandate. They have to make sure we have maximum employment. So what is the data going to say this week? Have they already seen some of this data this week? Why is it all of a sudden now today, Monday, the first week of the second week of Fed speaking, and jobs week with job openings and labor turnover, of course, ADP payroll, uh, weekly jobs claims, and of course, the big one, uh, the September jobs report that comes out on the first Friday of the month, this Friday, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, thank God we don't have a government shutdown, by the way, because we wouldn't be getting all this data. Um, some of these reports don't, get, don't come out. Just the Fed stays open and their reports come out, but not all the other government stuff comes out. All these crazy details you run into. So what is that data going to say? Does the Fed already know? Is the market, uh, the labor market continuing to soften? Is wage inflation coming down? So wage inflation is that kind of that one little link there between inflation and, um, you know, price stability and uh, full employment. So dual mandate is back. The Fed is now talking about the other part of their dual mandate. They haven't been talking about unemployment for a while. And so I think they don't want to paint themselves into a corner and, and be like, you know, especially if they feel that rates are, quote, firming and sufficiently restrictive and that there's a lag effect, that these higher rates are going to continue to squeeze our economy and put people out of work, squelch demand. You know, they talk about super core and inflation, okay? And I'm going to talk about this 500 Billion dollars a week of glut in just a second here, so bear with me. But they talk about supercore inflation. What? Who's talked about supercore? We never talk about supercore. Well, now we're suddenly talking about supercore. I've been talking about it in some of my, um, you know, my videos here. So inflation is just like all the things uh, that cause inflation, all the price inputs. Core inflation strips out food and energy, which are volatile. Which, by the way, we get like a world food bank or. FAO food price index that comes out later this week. The Australian and New Zealand central banks talk about what they're going to do with their rates. It's widely accepted that they're going to maintain. So all these challengers uh, buying and selling fixed income securities around the world against our Fed treasury salesperson, you know, trying to, uh, you know, dump all these dollars and treasuries onto the market um, at a time when they're doing quantitative tightening and restricting dollars. Again, I'm teasing that. I'm going to get into that. Um, but, you know, Food and energy are excluded. And commodities, which, you know, soybeans and coffee, oil, gas, all those things, higher commodity prices solve higher commodity prices. People just stop paying for the stuff if it gets too high because they can't afford it. And that's usually what happens. And you have a waterfall in demand, which our economy is driven by demand, and this stuff comes down. It tends to take care of itself. So not only in the core inflation readings does the Fed strip out food and energy, but now they're talking a lot about super core which also strips out all the housing components, which is a big component. Why are they doing that? Well, they're kind of isolating the services aspect, which we know has been, you know, a lot of money being spent on hospitality and experiences and food and leisure and that kind of stuff. And that number that just came out for Supercore was only 0.1%, down from 0.5% um, in the month of uh, August versus July. So, the last three months, including that 0.5%, if you take that three-month run rate and you extend it out 12 months, our super core reading is at 1.4%. If you took just last month's super core reading at 
we're at 1.2%. That's below the 2%, okay? Now, my theory in why Supercore is talked about and why housing input costs are being taken out of, at least that rating and that data point is kind of being given some credence. The Fed knows they can't fix the housing market. We're in a full-blown recession. We're in a full-blown recession. They can't build more houses. You know, this mortgage rate lock-in is a real thing. You don't think it's a real thing? I saw a report that came out uh, from TransUnion, and um, it said that there's $19.7 trillion in tappable equity. Why isn't it being tapped? Not everyone, thinks, not everyone likes debt. Some people just don't want to tap it. They like having their equity, and they don't do anything with it. There was a report this last week that the U.S. residential market is at $52 trillion, up 49% since uh, the pandemic started. Um, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Florida is like the second highest market uh, behind California now. They're ahead of New York. So just like not everyone taps into their equity and takes out debt, because that's how they look at it, not everybody is going to refinance basically free money. When you look at all the, you know, the amount of interest rates that were locked in under 4%, and so this mortgage rate lock-in uh, means there's less home supply in the existing home sales. We've already seen that dynamic shift. So Supercore has credence. So if the Fed is going to just give up like they did in Europe, can't own a home, it's too expensive, it's getting more expensive to own a home here, you think when rates come down, there'll be more supply on the market? Eh. There'll be more people, more buyers, and more demand. And so uh, listing data will come down. So Supercore is important. Rick Reader is in charge of $2.7 trillion in fixed income assets for BlackRock. That's why they're very powerful. And, you know, the investment uh, institutions only have about 3.5% of the market. Most investments, up to 27% of investor properties, maybe 29%, are owned by individuals like me. And I will get an update at the end of the month on my house in Culver City. Fingers crossed. $330 billion in treasures a week are being forced onto the market. Plus retreads, like when old bills expire and have to re-go out. That's $500 billion a week. Okay, China's not buying because they're hurting. They need to sell to raise dollars to bail out their uh, real estate. Lots of moving parts. Have a good one. Cheers. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Highland Park. That is Bevo. Those Longhorn fans right here. That is our mascot, Bevo. And I just decided, hey, you know what? It's Thursday night, I'm due for a video. I wanted to get something unique. I was a freshman at the University of Texas in 1994, and I've been here for Texas OU in Dallas Cotton Bowl every year except twice. I get to see my mom, who's a widow. I get to see my sister and her kids, my niece and nephew. And it's, um, <laughs> the guy just said Boomer Center. And um, I come back to Dallas every year. It's a non-negotiable trip. I love it. That was our mascot, Bevo, the Longhorn. Okay, so what's going on? Humongous jobs report tomorrow. The Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out with the September jobs report, which is data from the, I guess, the second half of August and the first half of September, but they call it the September report. Now, what's interesting is it's jobs week, which I mentioned in my last video. Remember, the Fed has a dual mandate, okay? Maximum employment and then price stability, which is inflation. And so the part about um, maximum employment is that We've had a strong labor market, and um, the strong labor market has helped to increase inflation with the wage price spiral. And that is a big component the Fed wants to see come down 
so we have price stability. Now, as we get closer to the end of the Fed rate hike cycle, they are thinking, um, they're actually starting to talk about jobs and how they want to protect jobs and have maximum employment. They're, they're talking 100% about inflation for like the last year and a half. And now they're finally talking about jobs. Now, I think they're doing that because they know they're near the end. We saw the dot plot. We know there's maybe only one 25 basis point rate hike left. Maybe they don't do it at the next meeting, November 1st. Gosh, this choppiness in the market with the 10-year treasury and the, all the uncertainty, like, is the Fed done? Are we in a recession? Are they really going to keep rates higher for longer? Are they just blustering because they want to let the rest of the world know that they will sell U.S. treasuries and raise rates and fight for those dollars in, in investments around the world into U.S. treasuries versus the yen, versus the yuan, versus the gilt in British, uh, uh, Great Britain and versus the euro in the eurozone. Remember, we are trying to fund our government which spins like a drunken sailor. Speaking of sailing, calm winds never did make a skilled sailor and we are facing a lot of headwinds and crosswinds. And this 10-year treasury is tough. It's definitely tough, rates are high right now and it's been, it's been rough for all of us. But there will be a lot more certainty with jobs report number tomorrow, with the Fed coming out on November 1st and deciding they probably are not going to raise at all again. And that will be like a couple meetings in a row with no raises. I wish they would just come out and say they're done. They're not going to because they have to let the rest of the world know they're willing to put our economy in a recession and raise rates further to sell our treasuries versus the rest of the denominations in the world. China's not buying as much as they used to. They're going into um, you know lower 4% GDP, which is really low for them. And their economy is in some rough spots. So they're having to sell treasuries to come up with dollars to conduct trade because the dollar is still the reserve currency of the world. So that's what's going on. ADP report was really low. That's your white collar jobs. It was under 100,000. Supposed to be like 158,000 jobs created in September. It was like 68,000. That's not good. Okay, that's softening. So we'll see what this jobs report says tomorrow. Now, the jobs opening and labor turnover report, the JOLTS report that came out a couple days ago, said it went up. It went up to 9.8 million. It was like a surprise, uh, excuse me, 9.6. It was like a surprise 660,000 jobs up that were new and open. But, 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 but the quit ratio is going down. So people aren't quitting. And so um, that is, it was kind of counterbalanced it. I know the opening number was huge going up and having higher numbers. And so Treasury skyrocketed after seeing that. So a lot of uh, job labor data this week sending kind of mixed signals. But I think everyone kind of feels that like the labor market is still softening. We are, you know, slowing down when it comes to job openings and in white collar area, according to ADP, even if the services job section goes up in the jolts. But it will all get equalized tomorrow. One more data point. It'll all come out in the wash and we'll watch that 10 year Treasury and see what's going on. There's a buyer strike. These institutional investors, I'm not sure if I made the point. There are $330 billion of treasuries being crammed down the throats of institutional investors around the world every week. Plus when old ones expire and they have to like roll over, it's like another 150 or so. So almost 500 billion, almost a trillion dollars in treasuries that is forced to be bought 
by institutional investors around the world every week. It's insane. So the market, the stock market's choppy. Mortgage-backed securities are choppy. Um, it's just it's just a choppy market right now because there's a little bit of uncertainty. Recession talk is heightening on CNBC and around all the little talking heads. And when recession talk goes up, sadly, that's actually good for mortgages. That's good for our rates. It's good for our business. And so um, we've just been in between zone for a while. So uh, baby boomers still have a ton of money. So even though credit card debt is up and the, uh, you know, uh, the people that had, in, you know, uh, COVID like help from money, like that's expiring. Um, the boomers are, they have a ton of money and they're spending it. And, and so that's a big thing. These student loans that are coming due for younger uh, people that have to make their payments, you know, that's like, I mean, that's a lot of money coming out of the economy ripped out every week. I think the number was, something, what did I say, like something like 17 billion a month or some crazy number. So um, student loans. Now, oil is an interesting one because remember when I said the rule for commodities is higher commodity prices solve higher commodity prices. We have a supply issue with oil. OPEC plus Saudi Arabia, you know, our friends, remember from 9-11 and all that. Anyway, uh, and Russia have done multiple supply cuts. So the price of oil per barrel is going up because of supply, not demand. Demand for oil, like gas at the pump, is at a 20-year low. 20-year low. So that will correct itself. Too bad we don't drill more domestically and fight the supply issue. Um, but that will come out next year, see if you believe in that issue or not in the election year. So uh, lots of factors you know, hitting the markets right now. But just remember, you know, in these times of uncertainty, stick to your strategy, your process, and have the emotional fortitude to move forward. You have to have that. There's still business getting done. Just keep with your process, learn something new, learn non-QM loans, add one little tech piece to your stack, and just get better every day. That is the key right now. Have a fantastic weekend. It is, what time is it? It's 8.30 p.m. in Dallas, Texas, and OU still sucks. And I got a little dad joke for you. Do you know why Texas doesn't fall into the Gulf of Mexico? Because Oklahoma sucks. Hook them. Cheers. You've been listening to KP Talks Dollars and Cents, a top-rated show for those who want to learn about the economy and mortgage environment. Tune in each week for more episodes, and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Kevin Perenio does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through KP Talks Dollars and Cents. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more info, follow KP Talks Dollars and Cents on all of our social channels.